Would you consider yourself a perfectionist? I certainly would not consider myself a traditional perfectionist, but I wonder if there's times when viewing my view of the world through other people's lens has cost me, has held me back, has stopped me from doing what I was meant to do. In this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, we visit with Petra Kolber. She's the author of The Perfection Detox, Tame Your Inner Critic, Live Bravely, and Unleash Your Joy. I think you better check it out. Stuff like payroll and benefits are hard. That's why I switched to Gusto. And to help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. You sign up for their payroll service today, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Petra Kolber. She's an internationally renowned fitness expert and wellness leader. Also, the author of a book we're going to talk about today called The Perfection Detox, Tame Your Inner Critic, Live Bravely, and Unleash Your Joy. So, Petra, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, John. And I also forgot to mention that you are, um, you're going to shoot me Scottish. Oh, my God. You are so off. I am British. My dad was Scottish, though. I have to be honest. My dad was a Scot. There's a little, there's a little Scot in your in your accent still, what's left of it. If you say so. Okay, we'll just leave it at that because my mother's turning in her grave right now going, Scottish? But I could have called you Australian. That too. I've been, you know what? I'll answer to anything, John. If I'm just talking to you, whatever works, I'm fine with that. All right. So let me ask you this first. Is this book autobiographical? Well, they say you teach what you need to learn. So yes, I, for me, um, it was autobiographical in a sense but again for me the 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 pain point of the book and, and you know as, as you know with sales and marketing speak to the pain point that was definitely my own personal pain point for many years and i thought if i can help people fast track the 7 year process or so that it took me john to figure out that you don't have to be perfect to do great things in this world then i thought it'd be a book worth writing so detoxing is really hot right now i mean there's probably <laughs> half a dozen books in every bookstore about it and diets and whatnot. I mean, what do you, I mean, does it, what does that speak to you think? Well, I did the name detox, to be honest, like we had talked about before, my background was fitness for 30 years. So detoxing nutrition is definitely a piece of that. And if you look at the book's cover, the perfection, perfection is very lightly written. So I do believe many people who pick this up thinking it's a juicing book. So, but again, so, hey, why not build on a cultural trend? That's not why I called it that. Like we detox from anything, it's basically cleaning out the crud. And that's what this book is about. It's not cleaning out the crud from your body or your nutrition, but really your mental aspect. And whether you're going to go for a job of your dreams, you're going to start that business you've been thinking about, it really is about not what you're doing, but do you feel worthy enough to even begin the dream? And how do you feel about yourself along the process? Okay, so let's start here. What does perfection look like? Ha. Huh. Great question. I'm partly saying I, that because I have no idea. It does not enter into my life in any sense. You are so lucky, John, let me tell you. So I do believe perfection means different things to everybody. And I do believe a lot of people have asked me, why did this 
book, as you know, has definitely got the woman perspective, yet I speak to men and women across the board and many men come up to me and go, oh my God, you were speaking to me. Perfection means different things to everybody. And what I ask people to consider is when you think of the word perfect in the three main areas of your life, self-care, the relationships um, of your own personal family relationships and your work, when you think of the word perfect, does that add joy to your life or does it suck the joy out of you? Because perfect and perfection is only a word until you attach a meaning and an emotion to it. So this book, this idea of perfect, you know, detoxing from perfection, some of your listeners might go, well, hey, you know, perfect works really well for me in my business. I strive, I, and this is not about not working hard. This is not about wanting to be the best that you can be. It's not about wanting to be, you know, the leader in your field. And what it is about is how are you feeling about yourself when you're striving for these high goals? Do you ever reach them? Or they are so high where perfections become the basement level. Hmm, maybe we can look at different metrics and a different, different definition of success. So I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I see is almost rampant in, in that community is that um, they didn't define what perfection was. They're striving for kind of somebody else's mm. <laughs> view of perfection because they see somebody else being more successful in in their view or, you know, whatever, having, you know, more customers, a bigger launch, a bigger house, you know, whatever it is. And, and you know, how much do you think that that plays into it is that we we don't step back and even define perfection. We just try to hit somebody else's target. Oh, that's so interesting, John. No one's ever really put it to me that way. Um yeah, I agree. And I think whether it's comparison, I think we're, we are comparing beings by definition as, as, you know, we need to look at other people for inspiration. And I think John Acuff was the one that said, don't compare your beginning to everybody else's middle. And what happens, especially in this world of social media and the online culture where everything is coming across our feed so fast. And I, if you're like me for many years, I never had this idea that I had anything unique to say. So who was I to be doing a book, a brand, an online course? And so whether you see it as perfection, like you had said, or you see it as a lack of confidence or the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be, I think it's all about the same thing, John. We start looking at ourselves unwittingly comparing ourselves to others. And then our negativity bias, which is a part of our evolution, is automatically going to hit on the things that we think we are not enough of. Or in some bodies, in some cases, we think we're too much of this. And what happens is then we then start beating ourselves up and judging ourselves and I should know better. I shouldn't be comparing my brand or my launch to someone else's launch. The challenge is the part of our brain that's the strongest, it's, a it's not part of your character floor, it's a part of our genetic makeup. And unless it goes managed, and unless we notice these thoughts, John, like, oh my God, their launch was so perfect, or they, they wrote the perfect book, or their online program is so perfect, and unwittingly we're comparing our backstory and our struggles to what we see as their overnight success, which in reality is 10,000 hours of hustle and hard work and failure after failure and iteration 2.0, this is when we get stopped in our, in our tracks. And so it's where we stop doing, we start watching, and then we start becoming paralyzed because we start judging what we think we're doing to everyone else's highlight reel. So physical toxins, um, you know, are quite often aligned with something you're familiar with uh, as a cancer survival. 
Um, how could you? How 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 is perfection toxins? What's that costing? Ah, oh, you got some great questions, John. You know the interesting thing about this. People often say, ah, it's just a thought. You know, I'm just having these thoughts. I'm beating myself up. And now science is showing that these thoughts have a physical reaction, a chemical reaction to your body. So what we're seeing now in this world of elevated stress, elevated anxiety in our own, you know, in the entrepreneurial world and in the lives of our children, elevated depression, although with our kids, they're saying anxiety is going up as depression is coming down a little bit. Every time we have these thoughts, our brain Every time we have a thought of self-judgment and doubt or worry, it's not a status quo. It's going to trigger a response in your body. It's either going to be fight or flight or tend and befriend. And this cortisol, the adrenaline, um, and placed on top of the adrenaline and cortisol that gets triggered every time we have an email alert or a, a text come in or we have a, an argument with our you know, partner or work partner. This is all having a physical impact on our body and our immune system, our health, our joy, our happiness. And so again, people go, oh, it's just a thought. Uh, yeah, no, because your body can now not, and this is science, you know, the science of neuroscience, your body cannot tell the difference between an actual, um, something we should be afraid of and go on physical defense or a thought where we ramp up and have this same toxic, like you said, toxic um, emotion built into our body. And often to put on top of that, John, this work is often happening behind a computer and we're sitting. And you and I just spoke about this before. Sitting is the worst place for our body, our health, our happiness, our focus, our agility, our resilience. So you put all these thoughts on a body that's now static it's just compiled and exasperate, exasperates to a magnificent and unfortunate level. For the record, I'm at my standing desk right now <laughs> as we record this interview. I want everybody to know. So <clears throat> let's pick on social media a little bit, shall we? Um, you know, I, 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 my last um, interview, uh, who knows when people actually be listening to these. They probably won't come out back to back. But uh, Dan Shawbell, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in an Age of Isolation. And one of the main thrusts of his book is that technology, while uh, it does enable us to do some cool things, it's probably made us more isolated than ever. And I suspect that in the perfection game, you know, social media is a pretty big culprit, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea. I mean, I think the currency of the future is going to be connection. And I heard Gary Vee speak recently at an event and I, he held up his phone. And he goes, technology doesn't have an opinion. I was like, oh, that's good. Because I had become silently very judgy <laughs> about social media and technology. It doesn't have an opinion, but it's how we feel about ourselves and how we decide to use it. Um, and what our intention is when we're going on to social media or any form of technology. So again, it does magnificent things. We, you and I are having this conversation across the country because of technology. My thought is with, with social media in particular, there's many great aspects of it. It allowed me, John, over the course of two years recently to pivot my branding from fitness to happiness and now to this idea of, you know, becoming our best selves versus our perfect selves. Social media allowed me to do that without paying a PR company. Yet, we often use social media to deflect, distract. Uh, we often go on when we're bored, when we're a little bit lonely, 
And that is the worst place, the worst time for us to jump on, because then that negative bias, our inner critic is quick to ramp up and then start again, going into that comparison mode. And even though we know that what someone is posting on social media, their, you know, their million dollar launch or their perfect this, or we know that's probably not the exact truth. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, um, uh, highlighted a little bit. While our brain knows that, and for females especially, we see the pictures going across our feed that, you know, with that million Instagram followers, our heart has a really hard time discerning what's real to what we're seeing across our feed. So I just say there's nothing wrong in social media, but make sure you're going on with full attention and what with what intention. There's so much noise out there. Do we want to add to the noise or can we elevate the conversation, add things that make people think, make them feel good, make them want to share what it is that you're sharing about your thoughts and your, you know, your view of the world today. And if that's if we're there to elevate the conversation and make people feel less alone, think it's a great thing. But then again, I keep coming back to this idea of when you step off your time on social media, do you feel more joyful or has the joy been sucked out of you? And then maybe it's time to look at who you're following, your, your intentions, and just kind of do a quick little, little detox on your social media too. Wouldn't it be great if in your business, all you had to do was the stuff you love, the reason you started the business and not all that administrative stuff like payroll and benefits. That stuff's hard especially when you're a small business. Now, I've been delegating my payroll for years to one of those big corporate companies, and I always felt like a little tiny fish, but now there is a much better way. I've switched over to Gusto, and it is making payroll and benefits and HR easy for the modern small business. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. If you sign up today, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com forward slash tape. So I probably wasn't going to bring this up, but you opened the door to it. Um, do you feel that men and women approach this idea of perfection differently? Um, yes, I do. I mean, I think... Mm. And like, this is why I wrote the book from the female perspective, because while I've sp sp um, had many conversations with men, and I think this, you know, the suffering is there, but I think it's a little different. I think, mm, and again, you tell me, correct me on this, John, I would imagine that sometimes it's easier for men to compartmentalize their areas of their life. So my, my job is I'm crushing it. I'm succeeding. I'm my, my goal is to be perfect. And I'm like, great. But perhaps your relationships are suffering or maybe your self-care is suffering. Whereas I think women have a harder time separating their self-care to their relationships, to their work life, to their family. So there's more, more of a trickle effect. If I'm not feeling great in this area of my life, it's going to kind of have a little bit of a trickle effect where I think, and I hope I don't get a lot of blowback on this, it might be easier for men to compartmentalize just a little. So while perfection's working in their work life per se, maybe their self-care is suffering or their family life is suffering and they and it doesn't have that ripple down effect quite as much. And feel free to correct me on that. No, no, I, I agree 100%. I think society plays a huge role in that too. I, I remember when my kids were little and I'd take them to, you know, I might have one of them or 
well, I have four, so I might have had all four of them. Um, and, you know, I'd be carrying one in, in the grocery store checking out and, you know, it never failed somebody. Oh, you're such a great dad. Mm. Um, and I wonder what it would take for somebody to actually say, you're such a great mom if my wife was doing the exact same thing. Um, and so <laughs> I think society really, you know, we have much lower expectations, I think, on men sometimes. It's a great point. And again, not to, you know, do any bashing, but again, but I think this expectation that women also play on themselves and the conversation is absolutely changing a little bit. But even if the conversation is changing externally, it's really hard on the internal conversations that we have with ourselves to ease up the judgment and the self-doubt in that area of our life. Okay. So we've talked a ton about perfection. Let's talk about uh, detox. Where do you start? Mm. Where do you start? Well, like with anything, I would love to say with this book, we start with the joy, but unfortunately have to clear out the muck. So the first part is just clearing out what's not working for you. And it's not everything, especially with perfection, any kind of detox, you want to keep what's working. So you're going to keep the flowers, but pull out the weeds. So I'm going to jump back a little bit about perfection, John, because there's many aspects that you want to keep. You're a hard worker. You strive for excellence. You triple check your work. You're a great friend. You're a great coworker. None of that we want to get rid of. But whatever you're detoxing from, we need to get rid of the stuff that's not working for you right now. So the first bit is clearing out the muck. Then the universe and your brain does not like a vacuum. So you got to put something good in there. And this is where my work and my studies with positive psychology enter in. We got to, again, our brain's default is the negative. So if we leave a space, more negative is going to come in. It might have a different voice, a different accent. It might have a Scottish accent, but it's going to come in. So we got to put something positive in there. And then we want to really be robust for the future. So it's kind of clearing out the clutter, the muck, which often has happened from our past, cementing a really positive present. And then from that, there's actionable, sustainable steps like creating new habits. As we know, it's those mini daily habits, those small, small steps that create magnificent change over time. So how do we do sustainable action, sustainable new, new habits around our thinking, especially that allows us to create a flourishing future? Yeah, that, um, that replacement idea is, is so big. I, I just read a post, uh, a friend for a long time in this content world and, um, he wrote a post recently. He talked about how he just, you know, one day decided to stop drinking alcohol and it just turned into months and a year. And, uh, then he turned around and realized he'd gained 40 pounds and, mm-hmm. and had to like, okay, now I need to replace that with, uh, with exercise, right. you know, and I think that is so true of our, our, you know, our condition, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, uh, it's that familiarity. It's like we're going to come back to a habit, whether it's negative thinking, negative um, actions that we do without even realizing that they are negative. They have a negative impact. So, again, it's just and again, with this world of becoming we're so attent in this attention economy where we are lack of full attention. So oftentimes these habits, I think the negative ones creep in even faster these days because we're we're like kind of partially focused. We're partially engaged without even realizing it. We think we're multitasking. We know there's no such thing. And I think that has an effect on our our inner dialogue also because we're not fully aware of even the inner habits that we're maybe replacing you know, what we thought was a negative just with another negative. So it's, again, it's bringing attention and full intention to all aspects of your life, which is exhausting. <laughs> so it's, you know, you do the best you can with what you have. 
Well, and you certainly make this point fully in the book, but I do think a lot of people, when they, they kind of wake up one day and say, I have to change something externally, um, you, they really don't have much success, or at least they don't stick with it until they change something internally first, do they? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can you can want whatever you want. You know, as an entrepreneur, a small business, you can have all the right desires. But unless we're really looking at um, the why, what is our driver? Are we being driven by creativity, possibility, seeing failures is just proof that we're trying and there's data in the disasters? If we're not secure in our foundation, John, where we're building it from a place of we are enough um, not meaning there's not a ton of work that we still need to do to get better at certain aspects of our business. But what often happens is we can't sustain these habits because the foundation they're built on is flawed. It's from an idea of I'm not enough. I, I'm trying to prove something. I'm trying to prove my worth versus how can I add worth to the people I'm trying to serve? So again, it's just, you know, with kindness and a curiosity, just continually asking ourselves, why am I making these choices? Why am I wanting to do this business? What is it in the, what is it in the end that I want to leave? You know, our legacy, it sounds like very, a little bit grandiose to say, but it really is at the end of the day, don't we all want to leave the world a little better than when we found it? And that means that we have to continuously and consistently explore our whys and our feelings, not about just the work that we do, but as we grow and evolve. And also one thing to make clear is the closer you get to doing thing, work that really matters, the more you're going to struggle with this because fear is going to show up because it just, to me, it's a sign that you're doing work that you really care about. But when you can flip that fear and stop worrying about, like Seth Godin says, to be remarkable means you're going to be remarked upon, not just the good, but the negative. When we can flip the fear about what are people going to say about me if they don't like my work onto I'm afraid that I don't get my work out there and that maybe that one person, their life could be made easier by me sharing what it is I believe in, then that's work worth doing. So, but again, it's not easy. Our brain's going to notice the negative, the, the critics, you know, the behind the screen warriors. But when we can believe more in our work than more about what people think about us, that's when we can take action behind our dreams. So let's end on a cynical note, shall we? <laughs> okay. Some might say that perfection has its benefits. Yeah, no, again, I mean, I never said it didn't. So let's full circle, full back. Let's circle, fully circle back. Okay, that was the imperfect end. So we'll circle fully back. Perfect is only a word until you attach an emotion to it. Perf, I would see, I would change the word perfect because for me, and this is only, this is a personal thing. Again, this is when you, I'd ask your listeners to go, this might not even be an issue for you, but if the idea of being perfect or putting out the perfect job, the perfect uh, blog, the perfect podcast, if that stops you from executing, let's reframe what that word means. Let's say I'm going to put out an excellent podcast. I'm going to strive. I, I reframe it from being a uh, perfectionist to a passionist. If you can put passion behind your driver instead of perfection, you will probably work harder than you ever have worked before. But this is the this is the this is the area that a lot of people find tricky. If I give up the idea of being perfect, they suddenly see themselves on a couch watching like binge watching Netflix. I'm like, I actually think 
if you give up, I invite you to consider if you give up the idea of being perfect, what you think your top level of success is, is actually your mid-level. Because for many of us, not everyone, if we think we have to be perfect leaders, perfect bosses, we hate to say we don't know the answer. We hate to ask for help. We have a hard time delegating. We don't give our rooms, our brains time to relax and find flow and find a place of curiosity. So I often think what you think your success is now, if you eased up the brakes a little bit, not on the work, but changed your driver from fear and has to be flawless and pristine. Because also there's, where are you going to learn? If something's flawless, how the heck is it going to get better? So I like it a bit, little bit rough around the edges. That allows us to have iteration 2.0, 3.0, fine-tune, fine-tune, fine-tune. Because I'm not sure if it becomes perfect, there's no more room for learning, growth, and expansion. Don't know if that answers. And, I, and hopefully that wasn't quite so cynical. <laughs> no, I was actually saying that, you know, I could see some people saying that. Well, that's just an excuse to do sloppy work, uh, which is what some people would say. But I, I would counter to that, that, you know, the perfection's excuse not to ship. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's a difference. No perfectionist I know, John, no one I've worked with has ever gone from being a perfectionist to being sloppy. And that's just not going to happen. It's not in your DNA. But you're going to keep, you're going to double check your work, but you're not going to be paralyzed, like fine going through it with a fine tooth comb, like you said, so you never ship. Would you rather have something slightly imperfect out in the world or your perfect silence? So that's the thing that often happens is when we're trying to be perfect, we often become paralyzed. So let's just change the conversation around that. Yeah, and I, I think one of the real keys is that you have to have so much self-trust in what you're doing that yeah. when I first started writing, I was a terrible writer. I made grammatical mistakes, really silly ones. Uh, when I started speaking, I was very bad at that, but I knew that those were going to be important elements. And the only way to get good at them was to just do them. Yep. Get to get them out, get the feedback, get the feed forward. And again, it doesn't have to be that's the thing I think that's, that's the bit where we get really stuck. I'm going to wait to do the perfect speech. I'm going to wait to do the perfect launch. I'm going to write, wait to write the perfect book. And that for me, John, for many years paralyzed me. And now I'm like, if it's good enough, so I don't embarrass myself, I look professional. I've done the work. I've done the, you know, the preparation I show up and it's good enough. Fantastic. And then also, then I, then I ask, then I allow room for constructive feedback to get better. But then I also know I'm not going to be someone that shows up unprepared. And if I am, then I deserve to be remarked upon. Then shame on me. So it's, I, I've met, I don't think I've ever met a perfectionist that goes from that extreme to giving out shoddy work. It's just not going to happen. Visiting with Petra Kolber, author of The Perfection Detox. So Petra, we're going to have a link in the show notes to your website, but tell people if they want to learn more about what you're doing and what you have to offer, where they can find you. Great. My, my traditional website is just my name, Petra Kolber, P-E-T-R-A-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. And then more about Perfection Detox, just perfectiondetox.com. And my great grandmother, Celia McLaughlin, who was indeed a Scot, um, thanks you for coming on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you next time I am up and around your part of the world, Petra. Great to visit you. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.